0: Well, good morning once again to each and every one. We are looking forward to opening up the pages of Scripture together and seeing if we can't grow in our understanding of the Word of God. We are going to begin with a verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 35 here. The question is asked by the Apostle Paul. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? How tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword lists off a number of different possible things that might separate us from Jesus Christ. And of course, we know as he goes on into the next few verses there that he affirms the fact that he's convinced there's nothing that can indeed separate us from our Savior. Unless, of course, we ourselves would choose to walk away from Him. And so that's what we're going to think about for just a little while this morning, the idea of being separated from Christ. Obviously, as we think about that concept, we want to examine our own selves and ask ourselves, even though we might be going about life and just assuming that all is well in regards to our relationship with our Father in Heaven through His Son, maybe if we think a little more critically about some things, we'll come to find that maybe we have been indeed separated from Christ. And if that is the case, what should we do to correct that? We're going to ask a question as we get started here. Who is at fault? If There is indeed a separation from Christ that that exists in our lives. Whose fault is it? Can we blame somehow Jesus and say, well, he left me or he wandered away or, you know, he stranded me here in this place all by myself. Or do we have to point the finger at self and acknowledge that if there is indeed this separation that could exist, It's going to exist because we chose to leave him. And I think that we see an illustration of this in the book of Luke. If you turn to Luke chapter 2. And we read here about Jesus while he was still very young. And kind of an interesting story that we find recorded. Start here in Luke chapter 2 and verse 40. And then we'll read down through the end of this second chapter. So speaking of of Jesus, it says, The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy, Jesus, lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But verse 44 says, supposing him to have been in the company, they were with more than just their, their own selves, they had their family with them, so they just assumed that you know Jesus was over with a, an aunt or an uncle or something of this nature. We see that they went a day's journey and then began to realize that Hey, Jesus isn't here. Kind of like the movie Home Alone where they arrive at the airport at their destination and they start passing out luggage and then all of a sudden they realize, where's Kevin, right? (laughs) They've gone so far and then they realize there's a problem. So they go a day's journey. They begin to seek him among their relatives and their acquaintances. And when they did not find him, obviously, they returned back to Jerusalem seeking him. And so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple. So you can imagine the panic that is set in at this point. It's been a day's journey, so they have to journey another day back. And then they spend three additional days searching throughout this capital city of the nation of Israel. So it's a large place. There's all kinds of places that they have to look and search. So almost a week's time where they're searching, trying to find their son who's now lost. And it says that they found him ultimately, finally, in the temple of all places. He was sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him, it says, were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And so when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? It's kind of an unexpected response, right? Uh, you would expect him to have some kind of, of, well, I you know got caught up doing this and I didn't know where you went. But no, it's their question is met with a question. Well, well, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business, he asked. But of course, at this point, they didn't quite understand uh, what that statement was meaning that he spoke to them. Uh, But it says that he went down with them and came to to Nazareth and was subject to them. Uh, And his mother kept all these things in her heart. And of course, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So a couple interesting things to to highlight from this passage. Uh, The first thing, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this later on as well, but we see right off the bat that assumptions are very dangerous things, aren't they? Oftentimes in life as we go through just from day to day, we assume certain things will happen or uh, we just assume that it's going to be this way because, well, maybe it's always been that way or whatever it might be. Uh, Just a, a number of other examples that Uh, that we might consider about people who made assumptions. In Mark chapter 6, and verse 49, there you recall that Jesus came to the disciples walking on the water, and the text says that they assumed it was a ghost or a spirit, because, of course, they're thinking, well, no human being can walk on the water. But, of course, they were incorrect. It was, in fact, Jesus. In Matthew 20, and verse 10, we find there Jesus teaching this parable about this guy who... Uh, hires different people throughout the day. And he agrees with each of them, I'm gonna pay you, uh, so much money. And it's the same amount for the person who started in the morning as it ends up being for the person who worked just a couple hours at the end of the day. And it talks about there as, you know, these people who came early, they're, they're witnessing all this happening, these people coming later and, and starting to work for just a short time. It says that when it came time to receive their payment, they assumed, well, we're going to get more than these other people, right? Because we've been doing this all day, and of course, they were incorrect. The the master there explains. Well, look, we agreed on this amount, you know, and and it was the same for each and every one. Of course, there's a larger uh, application of Jesus is trying to help them understand there. But um, we see again that that same principle of assumptions being dangerous. In John 20 and verse 15, Mary had gone. To the tomb, and she hears this person start talking to her, and she assumes that well, that must be the gardener. She's not even really looking at him; she's just there. And of course, she came to uh, to remember Jesus, as she assumed he was still in in the tomb. So there's a couple of different assumptions, I guess we could say, are going on there in that scenario. Uh, but not only had Jesus risen, but he was indeed the one that was talking to her there. And then finally, in Acts chapter 16, verse 27, you remember. the the Philippian jailer. And Paul and his companions had been put into prison under guard of this this jailer. And in the middle of the night, there's this earthquake and all the prisoners are loosed of their bonds. And he kind of wakes up. He'd been napping and dozing off. And he just assumes, well, everybody surely has fled as he observes what has taken place. But again, he was indeed wrong. And Paul Stops him from taking his own life on that occasion and teaches him the gospel. But the most important thing I want us to notice from this passage that we've looked at in Luke chapter 2 is the fact that where was Jesus? Well, he was he was right where they had left him. Notice they had gone back and failed to realize that you know Jesus had some business to attend to you know here's the son of god and he has certain things that he came even very early on and his life here on the earth was starting to manifest who he was and why he had come and so the problem wasn't in fact that Jesus had left his parents but in fact it was the fa- it was the realization that they had wandered away from him and and i think that the application there for us is is quite powerful. When we think about being separated from Christ, we should know that he is about his father's business, if you will. Uh, He is in a certain place. He is holy. He is righteous. He is in his kingdom, reigning. And so if we want to be with him, then we're going to be where he is. But sadly, oftentimes, we we wander away and we leave him behind. In Hebrews chapter 13, we're reminded of the fact that we have this promise that God and Christ, uh, they are not going to ever abandon us or leave us behind. Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? So how does it happen? How do we wander away from Jesus? I think there's different examples that we might consider. Obviously, the first that probably comes to mind is just a willful rebellion against Jesus. The authority of Christ. Just determining, well, you know, I know Jesus said to do this, but I want to do this, and so that's what I'm going to do. We just make a decision to go against his commandments. And oftentimes, that is really the, the ultimate reason that we see that there's a problem in people's lives in regards to their relationship with God. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, it explains what sin, which is a transgression, of course, of God's law, 1 John 3, 4, and what that does in, re, in regards to our relationship with, with God. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. There's no problem on God's part, but the problem is that your iniquities, that word just simply means lawlessness, your lawlessness has separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And so the problem is, again, not on God, it's it's on us. We've chosen to do something that has caused this separation. In 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 15, it's speaking here in this chapter, uh, for a large part of it anyway, about those that just go against God. And it's describing various different things about what they do and how they behave. And it says there in verse 14 that they've forsaken, notice the language there, the right way, and they have gone astray. Following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And so, sometimes, sadly, we forsake the right way, and we wander off doing what we've determined we want to do. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4 beginning there the Hebrew writer says it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God, the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God. They put him to an open shame. You know, maybe this is a verse that we need to think about more frequently in our lives, especially as we're tempted to do something that we know God has said to abstain from or perhaps leave undone, something God has commanded for us to be doing. When we sin, the Hebrew writer says, in essence, we are nailing Jesus back to that cross. We are putting him to an open shame. We are basically saying, we don't care what Jesus suffered. We don't care all the pain he endured because I want to do this. Or I don't feel like doing that. I mean, how selfish. You you put it into that terminology and it really kind of puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Verse 7, he says, The earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briar... It is rejected and near to being cursed whose end is to be burned. And so we ask ourselves, are we producing that which is good or are we producing that which is evil, that which shows our disregard for what Jesus has done for you and I? Sometimes we become separated Because we have added something to what God has said. Or we leave something out. And we can drive up and down the road and we can see all kinds of examples of that, can't we? As we look at denominational groups that exist here in our own town and in places close by. Really, pretty much anywhere you go, you can see this. But you'll find groups that maybe they have most... You know, it's kind of funny, last week we were... Uh, with with some friends there in Wellsburg and we were talking about this, this one congregation. Um, they were thinking about having this fellow who preached there for a meeting and it turned out as they were investigating some things about the congregation there, they were finding some red flags and they were starting to question, well, maybe it uh, seems like they're maybe a little off in their understanding on some things. And it's so sad because you see examples like that all the time where you'll find a congregation and for the most part, they're following exactly what Uh, the Bible teaches in regards to the plan of salvation and how we conduct ourselves as Christians and these kinds of things, but then you'll find maybe just one thing that seems to contradict or that they've added in, or maybe there's one thing that they've uh, omitted from what they are preaching as necessary. And it's so sad to find and see people that are truly sincere, but yet have added or subtracted something from the authority of Christ to the point where They have, in essence, really separated themselves from him. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, the Israelites, of course, were being spoken to here in regards to the law that they had at that time, the law of Moses. And we see here that the instruction was, O Israel, listen to the statutes and judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. And notice he says, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor... Take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And we see this, this concept not just in, in the old law in regards to the Israelites, but we see it certainly for us today. We go to 2 John 9. And notice here, whoever transgresses, the idea there is, is going beyond. You know, God has drawn certain lines in the sand, if you will, and said, don't go beyond this. This is, this is the border of where you're uh, permitted to go. But sometimes we we want to cross those lines, right? We want to go beyond. And so he says if if we do that, we don't abide in the doctrine of Christ, the reality is we don't have God. But he who abides in the doctrine has both the Father and the Son. Notice in Matthew 15 Jesus rebukes certain of the Jews here on this occasion. He says, these people, they draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but but their heart is far from me. And further, he says in verse 9, in vain they are worshiping me. In, in vain we know, of course, something vain is empty. There's nothing of, of any lasting value there. And so he's describing their worship as being in vain. And why? He says, because they're teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They're not abiding in what has been revealed, but they are adding, they are changing. James 4 verse 17, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. So not only can we not go beyond, but we cannot leave undone the plain commands that we are given. How does it happen? Well, sometimes just by doing what Christ's parents did there in Luke chapter 2. Just by assuming. That can get us into all kinds of trouble. And of course, all this kind of rolls together into the same package, ultimately. We're just kind of looking at different angles, if you will, of the same problem. But so many people, the reason that they've added or subtracted or the reason that they've done certain things is just because, well, I just assume that that Jesus wouldn't have any problem with that. but well, that seems like a good thing that we should be doing, so I mean, I'm, I'm sure God's okay with that, right? You know then they don't actually stop and take the time to investigate and see, well, what has He actually said about that, right? What, what is the specification? What is the instruction that we actually have? And so when we just assume that everything's okay because in our limited, uh, futile human wisdom, we just, to us it makes sense. Well, that's great, but (laughs) that ultimately doesn't matter much, does it? In Proverbs 14 and verse 12, the proverb writer says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's all kinds of things that we might Think of to do that people are doing. Different denominational groups. We look around and we see things. Well, it seems seems like a good thing, but but is it? And sometimes it's not necessarily the thing itself. It's it's how it's being done that is the problem. In Matthew chapter seven, notice. You know, we usually around Halloween, right? We We think about scary stories and we want to scare each other. You know, the Bible has some scary passages in it. This this is really, you talk about something scary to think about. This passage here is one that that should really make us kind kind of stop and really sober up. And Jesus here is talking about the end of time and things that are going to happen on that final day. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But it's he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we? We were over here, we were casting out these demons in your name. In fact, we did all these wonders and we did it all in your name. But then notice he's going to say, I never knew you. I mean, just, just stop and think about, you go through your life and you're just assuming everything's good, you, you have good intentions behind what you're doing, but then you get on that final day and, and you hear that, that, that terrible uh, sentence, depart from me, and you're thinking, but, but I did all these, didn't we do all these good things? I, I imagine hearing Jesus actually say, I don't even know, who are you? I, I don't know who you are. And and what's the problem? Again, notice he says, you're practicing lawlessness. You're acting without my authority. You, you can claim to be doing things in my name and you can have good intentions behind it, but if you aren't actually practicing what I have outlined as correct, then that, that ultimately doesn't matter. In Acts chapter 26, consider the example of Paul. He's talking here about all these things that he used to do. And, and he did them with a clean conscience. He did them thinking he was correct. He says there as he's talking to Agrippa, he says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did these things in Jerusalem. I shut up many of the saints in prison. I'd received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I, I was there casting my vote against them. I punished them often in every synagogue. I compelled them to blaspheme. Being exceedingly enraged against them. You see the the zeal that he had. I mean he was passionate. He was sincere again. But. Look at all these terrible things. I mean completely contradictory to what. The actual instruction from. From the son of God is. I mean this is all just completely flies in the face of that. So. Reconnecting. How do we fix the problem? If we identify that there's a problem, that there's a separation here, then, then what can we do to fix that? Now obviously we think about somebody who's never named the name of Christ, who's never become a Christian. Obviously we understand the plan of salvation. We can think of Acts 2.38, the instruction to repent, be baptized, for the forgiveness of sins in the name of Christ. We can think about the instruction in Mark 16 and 16, believe and be baptized and you will be saved, Jesus says. We can think about the example in Acts chapter 8 of the eunuch and Philip as Philip taught him there. And he said, well, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? He said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he confessed, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And so then he was baptized. We, we understand those passages. What about those of us that are Christians that perhaps have severed that, that connection? What do we do? Well, first of all, we need to confess the problem, right? Confess, acknowledge, Jesus, I've I've left you behind, I've I've walked away from you, I've sinned. John says in first John 1 9, if, if we confess our sins, then he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we, we have to acknowledge that there's a problem and that we are the ones at fault, as we had noticed earlier. We have to repent. In Acts 8 and verse 22, the example there of Simon the sorcerer, who, of course, had heard the preaching, uh, also of Philip, who we looked at or referred to a moment ago. But he heard the gospel, and, of course, he was a, a sorcerer. He was a magician, and he had, for many years, deceived people with his his magic and into thinking that he was himself a, a prophet of God. He sees true miracles being performed, and he's amazed, and he, he wants to know more, and ultimately he's baptized. But then, of course, as he continues to observe things, that old man is trying to crawl up out of the grave and, and take control once again. And he sees uh, by the laying on of the apostles' hands that the power of the Holy Spirit is passed on. And he's thinking, well, I need, I need to buy this and I need to get me some of that, that power for myself so I can kind of relive my, my glory days where I was the one that was getting all the attention. I want to have that, that true power now. You know, that, those were just magic tricks. Now I can have the actual thing. But, of course, his his heart was completely wrong. He was was doing it, obviously, from a very selfish place. And when Peter confronts him about it, he tells him, Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness. Pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. So we have to acknowledge our sin. We have to be willing to turn from that sin. And we talk about repentance all the time. I think a, a wonderful passage to go to that really explains what it means to repent is in 2nd Corinthians chapter 7. We'll go ahead and turn there together. 2nd Corinthians chapter 7, we'll start in verse 8. Now, Paul here, as we get into verse 8, he's, he's referencing uh, the first epistle that he had written. If you go and read through 1st Corinthians, you know, it's it's pretty much, a, for the most part, a scathing rebuke of them in Corinth and... All the things that they had messed up and they were doing wrong and they were, were just kind of a mess. And so he's trying to correct all those things. And so in verse eight here of his second epistle, he says, even if I made you sorry with my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. So he feels bad that he had to step on their toes, but ultimately he's glad because he's now seeing that something Positive has resulted from this, which he's going to go on to explain. He says, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow of the world is just, you know, you get caught. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't really have a choice at that point, right? But true godly sorrow is, again, it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier where we remember that, you know, Jesus was nailed to a cross. Jesus was beaten with a whip. Jesus was spat upon, had a crown of thorns smashed into his forehead because of my sin. Because of what I chose to do, he had to endure all of that. And that, is what motivates us and causes us to humble ourselves and say, we're not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to crucify him afresh anymore. Verse 11, he says, Observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner, and what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation. You think about each of these things that he mentions here and how that is all involved in the process of realizing your sin and and wanting to turn away from that. Diligence, obviously. I'm going I'm to work even harder to do what is right now. I'm, I'm not going to get caught up in this anymore. I'm going to clear myself. I'm going clear my, my reputation of this. Indignation. You know, the anger you feel at yourself when you realize how terrible you've behaved. He says, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you've proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you or might be apparent, we might say. And so do we truly repent? If we want to reconnect with Christ, if we recognize there's a problem, we, we have to truly repent as is described here. In Isaiah 55, verse 6, Here we read, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and notice, he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God is merciful, but we only have so long to take advantage of His mercy and His grace. We don't know how much time we have remaining in our lives. And obviously, as a final point this morning, as we think about this idea of being separated and then obviously wanting to reconnect if there is a separation, we have to determine then, kind of as we were thinking about that passage there in 2 Corinthians 7, remaining faithful, making sure that we don't become separated again. It's not to say that we might not become separated. We might not make another mistake. We are human. We are fallible. We are imperfect. But we need to strive for that perfection of Christ. We need to strive honestly and sincerely for um, the reality of being holy as He is holy. Let's come and read together in, in John chapter 15. We're going to read the first 14 verses of this chapter. And Jesus is, is speaking, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear even more. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you, but he says, notice, abide in me, and then I will abide in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Again, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch. He's withered. And they gather them. They throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then... You will ask what you desire. It shall be done for you. And notice verse 80 says, By this, my father is glorified. We talked in our, our Bible class this morning about, you know, why are we here and what is our purpose as human beings? And we talked about a couple of different passages, but basically, uh, notice that the scriptures bear out that we're here for God's glory. We're here to fear him and keep his commandments. And notice here is it, it is explained Again, for us, you know, how can we fulfill that expectation? Bear much fruit. Remain connected to the vine. Abide in Christ, in His words. Abide in my love, he says. In verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. And these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, again, if you do whatever I command you. So we need to remember these instructions, remember these words that we have. From Jesus himself, explaining that if we want to be faithful, if we want to glorify God, if we want to bear much fruit, then we have to indeed be connected to the vine. Abide in his words, abide in his love. And so this morning, where are you? It really is the question we need to ask because we know where Jesus is. Uh, Again, to to borrow from the text there in Luke 2, he's about his father's business, right? He's, He's reigning over the kingdom that he died and shed his blood to establish. And so where are we? Are we walking with him or are we, in fact, separated from him? We had read in Romans 8 at the very beginning of the lesson, verse 35, where the question was asked, what shall separate us from the love of Christ Notice the resolution at the end of the chapter here, verse 38. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is nothing in existence that can separate you from your God through Jesus Christ, except for you, as we've noticed this morning. And so, if you need to make correction, if you need to confess and repent, if you need to be baptized this morning, whatever your need would be, whatever we can do to assist you in helping you reconnect to the Son of God and have hope of eternal life, then won't you let us do that? Please let your wants and your desires be known while we stand and while we sing.